Volume 1, Issue 38, Ratchet and Clank, A Crack in Time Two years after the PlayStation 2's official release, Sony commissioned Insomniac Games makers of Spyro the Dragon to introduce a new mascot into its ever-bouldering first-party lineup. Thus, Ratchet and Clank was born. Now, we're not going to try to cover all 10 games in this series, but instead we're mostly going to be focused on the PlayStation 3's 2009 release of Ratchet and Clank, A Crack in Time. Tonight, we have a slightly smaller group of people uh, due to uh, Darren, who was meant to be on this show, uh, getting... Basically, I think he's got the plague back from Portugal, so we all want to stay away from him. And Sean, who was also meant to be on the show, um, had conflicting scheduling issues. So, there's just a three-man crew tonight. The first being James Carter. Good evening. And Joshua Garrity. Hello there. Now... I must admit, I've never played a Ratchet and Clank game before, um, so I'm very, very new to the series. Um, James, I believe you've never played a Ratchet and Clank game before. Uh, yeah, not until oof, about a week ago. I started playing uh, my first. Uh, and Josh, you do have some history of the series. I have some history. I'm I'm on and off with the Ratchet and Clank series. I've played one, I've played three, and I've played all the PS3 games. So well. <laughs> Although we, we are definitely not going to talk about all 10 of these games in this series, um, it's a fairly broad range of titles here. Um, so let's quickly go through them. Josh, if you have anything to say about them, then speak up. But other than that, it would be just nice to kind of say like, that there is this many games in the series. If you want to go back and find these things, here they are. So the initial release was on the PlayStation 2, which was Ratchet and Clank. Yeah. Um, it was enjoyable. Um, it was very different at the time. Um, go, if you were to go back and play it now, it would feel extremely basic uh, compared to like Crack and Time, which we'll be talking about. But it was good. It was a good early game for the PS2. So just platforming, jumping, combat. Yeah, it, it, same like, kind of it's basis. No, none of the. It's kind of the core mechanics of Kraken Time, like the jumping and the combat, but none of the like extra special stuff, like the RPG mechanics of leveling up equipment and stuff that got introduced later on in the series. Story wise, I assume Ratchet's in there, Clank's in there. Yeah, it's. It's the writing was good, you know, the dialogue and the quips between characters, but the the story wasn't that memorable. It was all right, but it wasn't great. Okay, so it was then followed up a year, only a year later was Ratchet and Clank, locked and loaded, also known as Ratchet and Clank Going Commando or Ratchet and Clank Two in Japan. This actually starts a long history of the games being named differently in different territories, but um. 
you you didn't have any experience with this one? Uh, no, I didn't play this one, unfortunately. Uh, then followed up a year later, 2004, with Ratchet and Clank Up Your Arsenal. Um, yeah, I really like this game. Um, this has the RPG mechanics, the levelling up of weapons that uh, happened uh, in Kraken Time as well. It didn't have the customizable weapons you have in Kraken Time, but you can see like the seeds being... Uh, laid down for that kind of stuff later on uh, along the line. Also, Dr. Nefarious was introduced in this ah. game, which is the villain that features mainly in Kraken Time. Yeah, it was a very. It's. It, I think it's the best of the PS2 games, although I've only played two, so I'm not really the judge of that. But out of the two I've played, it was really good. Which one introduced multiplayer? Uh, I, I believe it was this one, the third it was one. Up your arsenal, yeah. Yeah. Which yeah. um, I believe. I've seen a number of people say that the multiplayer is actually rather enjoyable. Um, I didn't really play the multiplayer, um, so I can't speak to that. It's well, part part of my um, kind of research on this, uh, I I looked around at some video reviews of the game, and um, there's a, a Mr. Jeff Gersman back in his GameSpot days, looking very young and fresh, baby faced, uh, talking about the multiplayer aspects of this, and uh, it's it's like this quake arena type game like you have yeah. territories that you need to catch and you have to you know get the bolt and tighten them up and that gives you a territory and a, and a turret it, it looked pretty basic but uh you know entertaining we're back for 2004 it's pretty early on in kind of online multiplayer certainly on the playstation 2 as well yeah yeah the proportion of players uh who actually tried multiplayer must have been pretty small i would imagine because yeah. playstation 2 obviously it, multiplayer was effectively a late Add on to the console, really. So. Well, if you, if you could find a broadband adapter, yeah, well, yeah, exactly. So. And then go for all the the loops of signing up to the network. Oh, the god! I remember doing that for SOCOM. <laughs> the nightmare. Um, and I guess this would this be the last one actually done by Insomnia themselves, which would be uh, Ratchet and Clank or Ratchet Deadlock. Last one done by Insomniac. In- no. They've all been done by Insomniac. No, as in uh, the, the the other games, which were ultimately PlayStation uh, PlayStation portable games, and then uh, ported. Oh to right, PlayStation yeah, yeah. Too. Okay, sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah, I suppose so. I didn't play this game. Um, no, I don't even recognise the, t- the title of it either. So it must have just pass me by. I I don't hear a lot of people talk about it uh, that fondly. I, nobody said it's like crap or anything. But whenever I hear people talk about the best games in the series, they constantly talk about up your arsenal and uh, crack in time and stuff like that so i i don't it might be worth going back to but uh, i honestly don't know well maybe if, if you know people inspired by listening to us talk about uh, crack in time they might go all the way back to the 2002 dig their playstation 2 out and, and work their way through all 10 games it's not included in the hd collection it I isn't no think. but only 3r um and we might as well touch on that while, while we're there which is um it's going commander uh, up your arsenal, and then the original Ratchet and Clank. Yeah. So, um, yeah, why I don't know. Um, might do some more research at a later point and actually find out what Deadlocked was and why why it wasn't deemed to be good enough to fit onto an HD collection from the original stuff. So. Yeah. Um, continuing down the Insomniac route, uh, they then jump onto the PlayStation Three, uh, which starts the Ratchet and Clank Future series. Now, it's not actually called Future in the UK or Europe is it they dropped the future mm. subtitle and just called it the Ratchet and Clank blah 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 so but if you're in America it's Ratchet and Clank future tools of destruction uh, in 2007 now which is the first PlayStation 3 one and I I don't remember it even coming out so yeah um it was 
very early in the PlayStation 3's life, uh, 2007. So uh, the PlayStation 3 came out in 2007, didn't it? Uh, 2006. I... 2006, mm. okay. Yeah, alongside the Wii, but late 2006. We didn't get it here until March 2007, I don't think. Oh, All right. right, okay. That might be right, yeah, I think so. Research, who does that? Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, it was uh, quite an early in the PS3's life cycle. Um, I played it, I enjoyed it, I thought it was good. Um, but it's definitely a launch game. Um, it doesn't look anywhere near as good as Kraken Time looks. Um, it plays quite well. A lot of the control, you know, the um, the way Kraken Time specifically controls, it kind of owes a lot to that, to uh, Tools and uh, Tools of Destruction. But it, it doesn't. It, it's not as uh, well designed, I don't think, and the story's not as interesting. Mm. Um, but it, it's worth going back to, though. And and the story, of course, does set up because this, aside from the fact that it it changes the the name, I couldn't work out why it was called Future. I, I actually did try a bit of research. Is it set significantly after the events of the original PlayStation Two trilogy? Well, not. It doesn't look like it. I mean, no. the technology is exactly the same, and yeah. the characters seem to be the same age. So, but obviously, um, having Future in there makes the PlayStation 3 games a sort of de facto trilogy of their own and yeah. t- Tools of Destruction does set that up doesn't it they are all yeah they are all linked together yeah. um although i feel like although Kraken Time is linked to the others i feel like it can stand alone each of them can stand alone in fact um they've only got quite small tethers between them um but yeah well at, at the start of a Kraken Time there there's this when you first load it up, um, there's this kind of story introduction of stuff that's happened from the past. And the, the problem with that, I mean, normally um, I come across those things. I have some history with a franchise, so I can then pick out aspects of, like, okay, I, I know where that's been taken from. I can see how this kind of all formulates together. But this one, having no experience with any of the games, I couldn't tell you whether it was from the very start of Nefarious when he gets introduced or from the start of um, Tools of Destruction on the PlayStation 3. Uh, we'll ask Josh in a second, but I got the distinct impression that almost all of it was Tools of Destruction, apart from one very brief, it's up for two seconds, I think, uh, shot. I don't know if you recognize this, Tony, but there is literally one still of um, Ratchet picking up a map, map, which comes from Quest for Booty. Yeah, yeah. I saw That's that. literally all there is from Quest for Booty in there, and I got the impression that the rest was Tools of Destruction, but I don't know if that's entirely correct uh you are correct yeah okay. <laughs> um i uh, because i wanted to ref- a refresher on this game i started watching the cutscenes on youtube um and that first cutscene it's almost all tools of destruction yeah. cutscenes except for like the last few seconds of it um which might say they're a little bit of sh- ashamed of quest for booty because <laughs> um, it's kind of crappy but um yeah, that does a good job of setting it up for Kraken okay. Time. Okay, well, that's, that's interesting. I, I, strangely, I do now want to go back to the PlayStation 2 stuff and, and do a little digging and, and seeing what that stuff was all about. But we'll get onto that a little bit later. So, um, in the Insomniac range, then we, we get a downloadable only title called Ratchet and Clank A Quest for Booty, um, which we will talk a little bit into later on this podcast it's actually a game that all of us have played because it's only three hours long not three and a half hours long 
Um, so we'll talk a little bit about that. And the last one uh, in 2009 is the one we're going to be talking mainly about tonight, which is Ratchet and Clank, A Cracking Time. Now, there's been some other games um, done by different studios. We have uh, Ratchet and Clank Size Matters, which was released in 2007 for the PlayStation Portable, and then finally came out on the PlayStation 2 in 2008. I assume none of us played that. Mm. Nah. No. Uh, also, Ratchet and Clank: Secret Agent, which was another PlayStation Portable game, released in 2008, and then released on PlayStation 2 in 2009. Um, once again, probably haven't played that, but it'd be interesting to kind of dig that out maybe and, and get those. Yeah. Well, I was going to say run them on my Vita, but unless they're on the da- and they're on the store, I probably can't do that. But it'd be interesting to see how they played on the portal. I'd imagine they played pretty well actually. I mean, pretty good games. Can I just ask that uh, second one we're talking about there? Is that just a solely Clank-based game? Because he's on his own on the cover. It's called Secret Agent Clank. I assume so, but I haven't <laughs> played the game. Yeah, so no, I, I think we're probably going to have to dodge that question. But it, it struck me as that might be a spin-off just involving Clank, because that's the way it seems to look. But yeah, speaking from a, a little bit of a tenuous position there, not knowing. It's, it's strange. It is odd. I mean, it can come across from not doing your research, but then there's so many of these games. It's a bit like even with um, the Metal Gear Solid games, like you know, looking at the PlayStation Portable stuff. Sometimes it's hard to know where to fit it in within the franchise. And I mean, you know, we're not even apart from um, uh which one are we covering for Kane Rimps? Uh, Peace Walker. Okay. Not port- not Portable Ops or the Metal Gear yeah. games. So. Yeah. So we're not covering Portable Ops um, for the Metal Gear show. So sometimes they do feel like they get sidelined a little bit, but. Yeah. Yeah, there's, uh, you know, but there was, I think, like I say, I'd imagine they do play pretty well on the PlayStation Portable. I think, yeah, even with its one control stick, I could see how that works because fixed camera angles and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was one released on the, one final one released on the PlayStation 3, which was Ratchet and Clank All for One, which is a co op game mm-hmm. from what I can work out. Yeah. Yeah, um, uh, this was I didn't end up playing it based on word of mouth because word of mouth was kind of mixed on it and mm. people I knew who because uh, Mick from Twitter and from forums across the internet uh, <laughs> is a big fan of Cracking Time and he was saying how much he kind of disliked All for One and so no being a big Cracking Time fan I was like well if it's not as good as Cracking Time then I'm not interested. <laughs> you stuck down your flag and that's Well, it. no, but like knowing that somebody who loved that game as much as me kind of felt completely off on the next game in the series, I knew that maybe that was one to avoid. Hmm. Okay, well, so we've laid out all the different games there, you know, spanning, well, 10 years, basically, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Anniversary. Yeah, yeah 10 years. Yeah. So um, that's why we're getting the anniversary. Well, basically, the Ratchet and Clank trilogy which as we've already said contains the first three games in, in the series on the playstation 2 um but if quickly you, you actually start to notice they didn't have to churn these out mm-hmm. so we've got 2002 2003 4 5 there's a there's a break there so they can get it on the playstation 3 which is 2007 2008 and 2009 and let's not forget they were doing resistance games at the same time as that so resistance one i think was uh, it was launch title wasn't it so it was 2006 2007 Um, Resistance 2 2009 I think and then Resistance 3 2011 and I believe there is a new Ratchet and Clank game coming out as well a downloadable one as well Mm. 
So I mean, so that says two things to me, which is um, you know this had to be a fairly decent earner for both Insomniac and uh, Sony, Sony themselves, and also had to be a, a fairly popular franchise. Um, but but here's where you know. I, I've always wanted to play a Ratchet and Clank game, um, and this is where we maybe get talking to you know some of our our history with this. Now, I've always been a big Jack and Daxter fan. Um, weirdly, like you know, it's almost like Sony versus Microsoft or um, uh, Sega versus Nintendo. Like it's the school ground kind of mentality. Like I'm going to pitch my tent here, and this is the side I'm going to pick now. Ratchet and Clank and um, Jack and Daxter aren't dissimilar in in styles. Like they, you know, obviously they have two protagonists, and you know, there's a comical element between the two. Um, and I, I really liked Jack and Daxter, and I think because I really liked Jack and Daxter, whenever I tried to play Ratchet and Clank, I didn't like their styling because I prefer the Jack and Daxter styling. And whether rightly or wrongly, that was kind of like, I pitched my tent, I was like, dude, I'm Jack and Daxter. I'm, I'm with these guys, I'm going to believe in this franchise, I'm behind Naughty Dog, Sod Insomniac and Sod the Ratchet and Clank series. So I've tried a couple of times to actually play these games, um, You know, whether I've been renting or buying them. I know the first couple I tried and just went, well, it's not Jack and Daxter and I like Jack and Daxter. Um, so, and that's basically where I've, you know, I've stopped with the series. And because of that, the series has continued on with me. In fact, Jackson Daxter stopped altogether um, on the PlayStation 2. We never saw any anything, any rumblings of the PlayStation 3 releases. And then the, the Ratchet & Clank series kind of just drifted past me. I was like, oh, well, Ratchet & Clank game. Yep, they're still doing those. That's good. Um, so, you know, we got this amazing list at Kane & Rinse HQ, and it's full of games. And I, I wanted to actually play a Ratchet & Clank game. I felt like, you know, do you know what? I've I've probably done this series a bit harsh because you know it's been going on for ten years now. There has to be something here that people love. So I asked around, and Josh quickly said, "Ah, Cracking Time! You got to play a Cracking Time. It's the best one out of the lot." Although it appears he hasn't played them all, but you know this is the one you need to play. This is the most highly regarded one. So that ended up on the list, and I, you know, it was a I think it was just a period of time. I'm like, you know what? Really fancy playing a platform game. Um, so. Bang! A cracking time ended up being uh, put on that list, and uh, finally got round to playing it. So that's my history of the franchise, which is I, I sided with Jack and Daxter, and kind of never looked back. Now, Josh, have you played Jack and Daxter? I have played the first one, and I really like it, but I feel like I need to revisit the series. Um, that's why I've put the uh, HD collection on my love film because I feel like I need to play through the entire series. Um, but yeah, I I enjoyed because uh, Jack and Daxter's much more the first one at least was much more of a pure three D platformer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, whereas Ratchet and Clank was more combat. It, it had platforming in it, but it had much more of a focus on combat as well. Um, and to me, at the time when I was playing these games, um, that appealed to me more. But as I've matured as a gamer, uh, platformers in general have been. Uh, I, I've been more appealing to me, so I feel like if I came back to uh, Jack and Dexter now with fresh eyes, uh, maybe I'd appreciate it a lot more. It was actually that that was the prime reason for me not liking, uh, or from the onset liking uh, Jack and Daxter, liking Ratchet and Clank. This is where we get seriously <laughs> mixed up. Um, it was because of the combat. I just I 
I felt like it was so combat heavy and that wasn't what I was looking for a series like that. I was more interested in the platforming and stuff and Jack and Daxter. Certainly in the first game it had that. kind of lost its way a little bit time it got to Jack Free. It maybe took on a lot of influences from um, Ratchet and Clank along the way. But that, that first game was very much about this you know, open world, explore it, um, where Ratchet and Clank seemed to be a lot more kind of like, hey, you got weapons and shoot stuff and cogs everywhere, uh, which just didn't appeal from the outset. But James, you, you've never thought about dabbling into the series never any interest in it you've kind of touched on why this is i think i mean at the time when this launched i wasn't playing that many games anyway but from the sort of middle distance i was at where i was aware of what was going on we've already said you know jack and daxter ratchet and clank banjo kazooie is another one sly raccoon is another one um i'm blank crash bandicoot another one as mm-hmm. well they all felt kind of samey in terms of what i saw of them now that's coming from the position of never having played them which is obviously uninformed but nonetheless especially considering that um sly crash and um and this series ratchet and clank came from three sony studios who were closely kind of tied together it all felt like a bit we can just do another one of these and it will sell it's cartoony it's got wacky characters people are going to buy it and so when you've got those sort of five six different games that all feel kind of the same just from marketing reading about them that sort of thing um it sort of feels like well which one do i pick and the my answer was well none of them because why should <laughs> one be better than the other if they're churning them out now i realize i've just alienated every single listener we have because one or other of those titles is probably one they've played and really enjoyed but hopefully they can understand that when you've got you know so many titles that appear on the surface to be the same without dipping into all of them to try and find out what the differences are it it kind of feels like dipping into none of them might be the easiest thing to do it's interesting you bring up sly as well that's another franchise that just has completely passed me by i know it's it's really popular in america i don't feel like it had such a, a following in europe no, um, no, it didn't. Not not remotely close. But yeah, that's just you know. Although I've I've messed around with the PlayStation Three one, mm. I think they stuck on the PlayStation Plus, and that didn't yeah. really do anything for me. But I think that's that's another game series that maybe you should go up on the list and and tackle and, and maybe. Yeah, it's um, it's it's a really interesting one because obviously you've got uh, Insomniac and you've got Naughty Dog, and I'm blanking on who makes Infamous and Sly. Why oh, uh, it's a Sucker Punch. Thank sucker you, punch, yes. Yeah. And the three of them were stu- three Sony studios that I believe were working in the same building and they never, they always were adamant that they never s- shared ideas, but they they certainly oh, rubbish. interacted <laughs> with one another enough. Uh, well, uh, sorry, I should say sharing ideas was what they did, but what they didn't do was share tech. Um, Insomniac, I remember reading, were quite defensive about, they were... Basically, it was it was said. Well, they're just using this engine from Naughty well, Dog. Well, yeah, but if you look at Jack and Daxter, that's a very different engine. Yeah, to, um, yeah, yeah. To any of those other games. But you've got those three studios, all of whom, when it came to PS3, made not necessarily realistic, but Insomniac went to Resistance, and you then got Sucker Punch went to Infamous, and obviously Naughty Dog went to Uncharted. So they all had these cartoony Sony, you know, platform games. And then moved on to something a bit more. Probe. I mean, mainstream's not a bad way to put it. In all honesty, in terms of the sort modern, of gameplay, and certainly modern and kind of more realistic. Certainly in the way the characters look. So, 
it seems like these three studios kind of mirror one another in my mind. It's um, it's it's quite fascinating to look into and just see the sort of history of these studios and how they've worked together and grown together. Yeah, actually, it forms a fairly big backbone of of Sony Studios, and yeah. and strangely, um, although Naughty Dog is now owned by Sony, isn't it? Um, yeah, yeah, I think so. Insomniac isn't. Uh, although no, they... their franchises are obviously. Uh, Ratchet and Clank and Resistance are tied to Sony, Sony but yeah. Insomniac are uh, independent. So Overstrike was apparently in development for multi-platform because they decided to move uh, yeah. and do everything. And Sucker Punch. I think they're owned they by moved? Sony. I'm pretty Recently, sure they yeah. are. Yeah, I think they are. Um, so yeah, it, it was. I think it's weird because I assume that in all three cases when they started, we talk about first party and third party, but of course there is second party, which is, you know. A, a company that is contracted by, say, Sony, Microsoft to make a, a game for their platform, which is effectively what Insomniac were for a long time, although they still existed as their own entity, of course, mm. making them a second party. But they all kind of fell into that second party aspect. But yeah, I believe Naughty Dog and Sucker Punch are, are both Sony owned now. Come on, Naughty Dog, where's my Jack and Daxter? So <laughs> come on. So um, yeah, so that's that's the history, and actually one thing I. I before we actually move on to the game uh, wholesale, like how how much do you think this this was Sony looking for another mascot for their you know back you got to think back like back in two thousand two we're still kind of in a little bit in that era like you need a a figurehead like uh, whatever you got Mario you have Sonic like were Sony still trying to find something that solidified them as a company like I, you know, you could almost argue that uh, God of War weirdly kind of did that from like some of the more violent franchises have done for, done that for them later on in the generation but like right at the start of the PlayStation 2 were they still looking for that something you know that little character I think the problem Sony had is that most of the characters people associated with their platform were third party characters that just happened to Crash not Bandicoot, be on the yeah. other console well Tomb I'm Raider. thinking Solid Snake and yeah. Dante yeah, from Devil absolutely. May Cry mm. Um, these characters are associated with the PlayStation label, not anymore because if I uh, Metal Gear yeah. Rising's multi-platform and all the DMC games are now multi-platform, so it, they're no longer that's no longer the case. But back then, uh, the, Sony had loads of third-party exclusives, but they didn't really have. Um, like a franchise that they could say this is the Sony experience if you know mm-hmm. what I mean because uh, Nintendo has it Nintendo has Mario Microsoft has it they have Halo so you could still argue that Sony still don't have it which is odd it feels like they're going to have one and then like because for a while I thought Nathan Drake was going to be the figurehead but then Uncharted 3 kind of disappointed loads of people and uh, so it doesn't look like that's the case anymore. Well, and, and for a while, Sony were trying to make it Sackboy as well, but then Little Big Planet wasn't the all-out smash success, although yeah, still successful. But but they were really pushing. It, they were Boy, so. they were good games and they sold yeah. well, but it never got the mainstream, you know, mega popular like Mario and uh, Master Chief. Well, I, I think there's a whole podcast conversation about like what what do those two characters have that none other do? It's it's. I think it's right time, right place as well. Yes, that's exactly yeah. it. It's the time when when Nintendo became synonymous with video games, um, and and for a while Sonic was the the 
competitor for that. So yeah, but, the biggest selling platform of all time, or the PlayStation Two. But that's was. the thing, as as Josh says, it was Grand Theft Auto. It was you know uh, Devil May Cry. It was these other series that that made Sony's platform a bit like with with Microsoft this generation. It's the third party titles that were yeah quote unquote better on xbox you know just because of technical problems or because of online or, or whatever the reason people consider them to be better on xbox um so we can say halo is a microsoft sort of or master chief's the microsoft mascot but not in the way that mario is for nintendo yeah nintendo yeah. have that that sony and microsoft can't seem to get which is they are synonymous with video games and mario is who everyone thinks of when they think video games it's just that's just as as we've said right time right place there's there's no there's no manufacturing it i don't think well i'd, I'd say that's true but um you know halo or master chief himself at least he survived a whole console generation and yep. moved on to another platform and still have been successful there i think that's half the problem with um like the sony's kind of other franchises which is you know they may have been successful on playstation 2 and then they kind of just mm. dwindled out maybe in pop priority i mean ratchet and clank to get back to that I mean, it's a surprise example it's like you know these used to be big deal gaming and you know now like josh said he's a fan of the series but you can have one that comes out and you're kind of like, yeah, I don't really, maybe yeah. I played it, or, you know, does anyone really care now? Uh, I don't know. Um, we'll discuss that. But uh, yes, yeah, so that's a topic for me. <laughs> that's a fairly big topic. It's a really interesting topic as well. I know Little Big Planet was another one we were looking at, maybe uh, talking about in the future. Um, yeah. Just because the Sackboy is such an interesting character. But anyway, so that's our history of the franchise. Now, I, I put out kind of like a a, a tweet, uh, a little bit of research for, for people to kind of interact with the show as per usual to talk about the Ratchet and Clank series. And actually, there wasn't a lot of response, which is surprising considering this is a series of 10 games. It's been going for 10 years. It's surely been fairly popular. You'd think enough people out there would have kind of these fond, deep memories of, of playing it with their kids or you know, of playing it as a kid. Um, but that was actually few and far between. Now, we did have we have had one email in. And it's from uh, Richard Nyack of GameCritics.com. We're trying to get him on the show, but unfortunately, Transatlantic times are a bit rubbish. So <laughs> that never happened. So, um, James, do you want to handle this email? Uh, yeah, Richard's very kindly uh, emailed us in. Uh, he's he's coming from the point of view of being a, a fan of the series as a whole, which I think is a, a useful point, given, obviously, uh, yourself and myself, Tony, are coming at this yeah. as sort of... Uh, noobs for want of a better phrase so um he says um in general i'm a fan of ratchet and clank uh i love the two main characters specifically clank uh the weapon design is always pleasing and artistically the phrase playing a pixar movie is an apt one however after uh, up your arsenal it felt like the series didn't have much left to do the first two games are good and with the addition of the multiplayer the third game really felt like it was the home run they'd been striving for since the beginning the PS3 entries are okay, but they just seem to be rehashes of Going Commando at this point, and it was very disappointing that they chose to abandon multiplayer. However, I will say that Tools of Destruction slash Cracking Time are probably the two prettiest games I've ever played, both in art style and graphical quality. Cracking Time specifically had The Great Clock, which is one of my favourite levels of all time. In addition, the two final boss battles in Cracking Time stand far above anything else the series did, boss-wise. Overall, I like Cracking Time, but I think the series is past its peak. There just doesn't seem to be much left for it to do. 
Well, that kind of sums up probably where, you know, if we haven't played the PlayStation 2 games, it, it kind of touches on, on the good and bad points there. And mm. yeah, it's interesting to see, you know, a crack in time. You know, to me, it feels relatively fresh, but then mm. I haven't seen the other 10 or well, nine games, or eight, I guess, that have. Um, that have come before it and you know I could I'd probably understand if I was following the series like any series that have progressed for that long if you have the roughly the same mechanics it, mm. it I can see how you can feel like you're going through the same old stuff again and again and again yeah it's it's interesting that he points to going commando as, as what he feels is being rehashed because obviously that's the second game so he's not going right back to the first game saying they've been repeating but it seems for him the second game was where they sort of nailed down the formula and Kraken Time, Tools of Destruction, not having multiplayer, obviously naturally puts them more in league with that rather than um, I'm blanking on what the third game's called. Up Your Arsenal. Up Your Arsenal, thank you very much. Oh, the witty comment, the witty <laughs> one-lines. So yeah, yeah, I, I thought it was uh, it was really interesting reading that to hear a sort of serious perspective um, alongside Josh's that, that you and I just um, are lacking, shall we say, Tony. Yes. <laughs> it's interesting because um like the way um I feel about the Zelda series kind of reflects um what Richard is saying here cuz I was introduced to the Legend of Zelda series really late. Uh my first mm. one was uh Twilight Princess. Mm. And when I played that game, I absolutely adored Twilight Princess. I loved it to pieces. But that was because it was my first experience with the series at all mm-hmm. and all these people who had played every single Zelda game were like oh Twilight Princess oh no it's not as good oh it's just a rehash of uh, Ocarina of Time it's rubbish mate why do you like it and I'm, I'm just looking at these comments and I'm going what what are you talking about <laughs> and because I don't have that baggage you know what I mean I don't have that baggage of the series so all this stuff feels so fresh and interesting to me uh, but for somebody who's been in, with the series uh, for a long time, it just feels like a rehash of stuff that's happened before. Once again, that's, a, that's another really interesting topic for a podcast, isn't it? Like people getting people's opinion because we always talk about gaming is is broader in its horizons. More people are coming that have, you know, and new players, which you know, even teenagers which have never experienced these series before, are coming new, fresh into into stuff and. Like, you know, we, we do carry a lot of badges. There's a lot of cynical nature about people who have been doing this hobby for 30-plus years and, you know, seeing these franchises grow to what they are. But, you know, take something as simple as something like, um, you know, Forza 4, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, imagine walking into that one for the first time after never experiencing maybe a Gran Turismo or a, you know, the, the other Forza series the titles up until that. I mean, you'd just be utterly blown away, yet... Mm-hmm. A lot of people are like, well, it's just, you know, it's the same tracks again. And, oh, I don't know, they're trying some different menu stuff, but that doesn't, you know, maybe the tyres are slightly better dynamics than that. Well, yeah, if coming to that for the first time, it's just incredible. Like, why are people upset about these small little issues? But, you know, ultimately, that's the, that's the thing of a developer. You have to kind of placate everybody, I guess, for lack of a better term. But, hmm. Well, like I say, I, this was my first real attempt at a uh, Ratchet and Clank game, so you know, I, we'll just run from that, and then you can tell us if we were right or wrong. <laughs> so, um, there's actually a, a coming into a crack in time. I, in my head, I expected one thing. So I, I expected obviously a lot of combat, 
uh, expected a lot of platforming. What I wasn't really expecting was actually a fairly deep story um, line that runs through. And I'd, it's odd when you, you talk about 10 games, like, of course, there was going to be a storyline that run through all this stuff. But this, I mean, also this is the future series. So if we take this, this is coming from Tools of Destruction on the first one, which I haven't played. So the, the catch up bit helped a little bit there because, like, OK, well, that I guess that's why so-and-so got captured here. Um, and it does actually have a, a pretty interesting story. And it, it, it gives game elements because... Ultimately, I mean, I, I assume, having never played any other Ratchet and Clank games, that Ratchet and Clank themselves are meant to be a partnership that play together. So, um, Josh, like in the other games, just, just, I, I assume that Clank is is strapped to Ratchet's bank back for a lot of the other games, and is this psychic? Yeah, um, with the exception of uh, Quest for Booty, um, pretty much all of them, uh, he's his backpack and helps him with platforming and stuff like that. There were always those little sections of Clank where he would go off on his own, like little um, missions that were meant to be in between the main game. Uh, but n- nothing as fleshed out as uh, what we have in Kraken Time, where they have decided to split the characters uh, and in away from each other and have them have their own adventures separately. Which is a bit confusing coming to the series at this point because I was I was expecting this series with a buddy buddy movie they're going to be talking with each other, and that wasn't the case at all. So what they do here, um, Clank, who's the robot guy, um, he's he's stuck in a a different dimension, shall we say? Or he's, no, he's in, not really. He's in, something, he's in something called the Great Clock. Now, yeah, Josh, tell us what the Great Clock is. The Great Clock is a device in the centre of the universe, give or take 50 feet. Um, anyone who gets that reference gets <laughs> to 10 points. Um, and it, the idea of the Great Clock is that it's designed to kind of stabilise the universe because a long time ago uh, this race were using time travel, uh, but they use it excessively to the point where the universe effectively imploded. And the Different great dimensions. Clock, yeah, yeah, Riffs, they started ripping yeah. apart and stuff like that. And the great clock is essentially designed to kind of—it's almost like a, a pacemaker, if you get what I mean. It's designed to like stabilize the universe and stop it from having a a universal heart attack or whatever you want to call it. Um, but yeah, it's not—it's not. Although it can uh, take you know uh, rewind time and create time portals and stuff like that. It's not a time machine. It's intended to keep time stable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in gameplay terms, what it does, it, it forces Ratchet and Clank uh, apart from each other. Now, in Tools of Destruction, um, is it the Zonies, which are these little... The Zonies. The Zonies. Yeah. Um, capture Clank and take him to this other dimension. And it, you know, obviously Ratchet is trying to find where his buddy-buddy has gone. Um, but Clank ends up in the, in the Great Clock and actually learns one or two truths about who he is as a robot and kind of meets his maker. Yeah. Um, uh, one The leader of the Zoni is called Orvis and it's revealed that Orvis is Clank's father and he was the caretaker of this clock, the inventor and caretaker of the clock and his job was to maintain it and fix any problems. And he kind of designed Clank as his successor, mm-hmm. um, so that uh, when he passed away or whatever, uh, 
uh, Clank would take over the responsibilities of the clock. And much of the game, the gameplay uh, in uh, Clank's section of the game is dealing with all this time stuff, which I, I don't know about you guys, but I thought was the most fascinating part of the game. It it was, and, and I mean, to to talk about the story for a second there, it's that's actually kind of deeper than I was expecting anything from a Ratchet and Clank game to to come out. And, you know, this ultimately is a robot trying to you know find its its maker, and um, all this himself has disappeared. Did he pass away? I believe he disappeared. He went to a planet he shouldn't have done, um, and his kind of like psychic buddy. Um, is kind of just keeping maintenance on the place whilst looking for uh, Clank, and they they find Clank, and then it's his his job to kind of get Clank to actually um, take on this role rather than kind of wanting to get back to Ratchet, and that, that's actually a lot deeper than I was expecting anything to come yeah. from this this game. Because it, it's interesting because Clank's story is mu- is very much a personal one. It's about him discovering who he is and his history and what his purpose is and stuff Hmm. like that um which differs completely from ratchets which we'll get on to later um but i like i i liked the fact that the game had two different kind of tones to it um like clanks the clank sections weren't as like big and explosive they weren't like big explosive moments uh, not just in gameplay but in terms of story it wasn't the action-packed fest that ratchet story was it was much more an introspective story yeah yeah it's it's much uh more personal Uh, well not necessarily more personal actually because ratchet story's relatively personal but it's a a smaller more pensive um i guess story just a little bit more thought it's slower paced the puzzles help with that actually because although the the time puzzles you have to complete they're difficult but not not massively so you're never going to be at a loss with what how you should solve them i don't think really um, but they do just slow you down um so you're not running from platform to platform fighting enemies to get to the end well, like there is, there is some combat there which is i think like it, didn't really need it there like yeah I, whether they just wanted to well you know well you know he'd done this in the past and all these other games so we kind of need a little bit of that like the combat was never challenging either it was all, always just a little kind of slug things i mean it, yeah. they were very very quick and easy to kill uh, it's almost just they wanted to use that you, as clank you have this um freeze time um bomb that you can you can throw out and you know literally everything around it slows down to a, a crawl and that helps you work through puzzles so if there's a, a spinning wheel which is spinning too fast for you to jump on then you can throw down down this time bomb that freezes that so you can then jump on it and jump onto the next platform as you're throwing another time bomb and you can do that whilst fighting the enemies there so you can just throw down the time bomb and you know it makes the combat ridiculously easy but i never felt like that needed to be in that section yeah but that section in in particular so clank's whole you know his story arc is really interesting within there but the world he inhabits is this great timepiece clock machine so it's almost like you're inside this mechanical it's a bit like the whiteness of portal um but in a bigger open space um with lots of different cogs and things running around in kind of this is open space term like nothing's really fixed down and you need to hit platforms for them to turn over for you to get onto them um so that's the platforming sections, but I think the the bit that we all want to talk about, which is probably the most um, innovative 
aspect of the entirety of this game and probably the entirety of the series, which is it has time puzzles. Now, who wants to try to explain the time puzzles? Yeah, these <laughs> these puzzles are really hard to explain in words. It's kind of one of those things where you just want to sit down, sit someone down and go, this is what it is, okay? Because it's really hard to explain. So, um, so you... <laughs> Let's do a, a simple one. Say you have three pads. Let's call them A, B, and C. Yeah. Now, there's a locked door at the end of a corridor. Um, you need to stand on two pressure plates for that locked door to open. So with A, you record a self. So you have the ability to... Whatever button on its triangle. You have the ability to record yourself walking from pad A to switch on the floor. And then you stop that recording. And um, once you've stopped that recording... Then uh, and you go on to pad B. If you start the record another recording, then you watch your player for, that you've just recorded from pad A walk over to the, onto the uh, pressure plate, stand on it, and that light come on. So if you're on pressure plate B, you record yourself at the same time as the pressure plate A guy is walking. You then both stand on the pressure plate, and then that opens the door. So on C, you then record yourself and you can basically walk out the door that now has been activated now that is the most simplest and basic puzzle they give you right at the very start now it moves on to four different um, recordings you can have at a time and there can be anything maybe up to 10 pressure plates um, within a room so what you quickly realize is that instead of just walking from maybe a to a single pressure plate you will need to record yourself walking A to that pressure plate which maybe activates a lift so you do that you take your your B guy you move him onto the lift and you explore what goes on up there but then that might lead you then to to, to record that clip of the A guy lifting the B guy onto the next area and then dropping off that pressure plate moving to another pressure plate across the valley which then activates something else which then you can take maybe the C recording and go off and do that area and it gets pretty damn complex um, now like James I didn't I didn't find it impenetrable sometimes they, they they needed a little bit of kind of experimenting and sometimes my timing was out so I think I've, I've done everything absolutely perfect but then realized that the last thing I needed to do the like every single time and I had was going to be wrong for my final guy but then you just went back and re-recorded all that stuff knowing exactly what you needed to do but I, it was actually really interesting. I, I think I could have a game of just that for maybe three or four hours and probably would have got a you know an interesting kind of quirky kick out of it. I really loved it. Um, I, I just... <laughs> I really like how bonkers it got towards mm-hmm. the end. Like, uh, you had to coordinate throwing... You know, you were t- we were talking about the time bombs mm-hmm. earlier, which slowed down time. You had to coordinate one guy throwing a time bomb at something to slow it down, while the other guy leaped across and then lifted up a lift or, you know, activated a platform and doing all these crazy stuff. And it was just really interesting being Clank, watching all these other Clanks repeat all the tasks that you did before. But like Super Meat Boy, but yeah, with, with a purpose. You know, watching yeah. all the people before you go off and do their thing. It's not like watching AI either, because you know you did that, and you mm-hmm. see yourself not only doing the task but making mistakes where you're confused about what you were doing at that point, and you know tiptoeing and stuff like that. It's just really interesting giving all those little clanks running about like your personality as well. It was really fascinating. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree. And it it was it was actually it was quite clever the way it did it because. 
to see what the final pattern of recordings had to be would have almost made it impenetrable to, to go from zero to, to that pattern. But mm-hmm. the way it does it is, let's say it's given you four pads. You're not just building complexity by adding extra pads, but each time you go back and re-record a pad, you have to add an extra layer of complexity to what they're doing. Um, and eventually, when when it comes to time for you to leave the area, you might find that instead of just sort of resetting a recording and walking out the door you have to be a part of that puzzle being solved as you get towards the exit so you're maybe tripping a pressure plate to allow two or three of your recordings across and then you have to come around and wait for one of those recordings to hit a pressure plate and if you don't do it on time then they time out themselves and break the recording by the time you get it all recorded it feels like you've really created this sort of layered complex solution to a problem but it never feels like you've had to stand there and scratch your head as to how to do it yeah it, it's odd as well because you you can go back and record little sections that you've done five or six times like you've done it right but to be more you know, the exploratory aspects like later on to get that player over to there you can get that going and they get there but then you realize that you know everything else that you have done now needs to be completely altered to make that a reality in that final run but that wasn't frustrating at all. That was just like, oh, I get it. Yeah, I need to change that. And that recording's fine, but uh, I need to allow like five more seconds on there for that guy to get to the left before I jump across there. So, yeah, wasn't expecting that at all. I think that was something that you had mentioned to me, Josh. And I was like, oh, I, you know, I wonder wonder what that is. But really, when I got there, it, it was a breath of fresh air. And certainly, I mean, getting on to um, Ratchet. Yeah, Ratchet's um, part of the gameplay, which is a lot more kind of combat heavy, um, uh, a bit more simple in, in platforming stuff. But, you know, what I would expect a traditional Ratchet game to be or Ratchet and Clank game to be, which is platforming, a lot of shooting and, you know, bizarre and interesting weapons. But I wasn't expecting maybe a slightly more slower paced, thoughtful, story driven segment that kind of... Um, populated throughout the, those kind of big bombastic things and it, it, it was a nice um, a nice change of pace and it was always um, I mean, the, the, kind of masterfully designed on, a, on the occasions that as and when they introduced that stuff just when you were starting to tire with some of the more kind of uh, laborious aspects of uh, Ratchet's kind of bombastic areas yes <laughs> <laughs> uh, anything else we want to say about Clank's uh, thing I mean we ultimately he we could talk about the final part of the story, but maybe we'll save that to the end. Yeah. I would like to touch on uh, Sigmund and Orvis uh, because I actually got really attached to those characters. Um, Sigmund, um, voiced by Nolan North. Um, unfortunately, I don't know the voice actor who plays Orvis. Um, but I, I thought there was some really good um, voice acting there, especially when... Um, Sigmund uh, goes off to secretly watch the recording, the final recording Orvis left before he's supposedly killed by Dr. Nefarious. Um, it, there were some really touching moments there, and I had I, enjoyed the previous games, but I, I'd never seen Ratchet and Clank as a particularly emotional experience, so I, I was caught off guard by how much that kind of stuff touched me. And, and that's partly as well down to it's the game has some excellent cutscenes um i i think it's the easiest way to describe them as pixar-esque um i don't they're obviously not quite up to that quality but they are beautifully rendered and um you know very well shot and voice acted 
Yeah, they really are. The the um the story never feels overly complex. It feels, you know, for large parts of the game quite straightforward. You know what you're doing and and the cutscenes just sort of fill in those gaps, but they're done with with humor and a lot of sort of care and they just they look fantastic. And the one thing I would say about the sort of clank sections is they give a really distinctive feel to the way that the areas in the Great Cock look, and they are really bright. When we talk about games that, that are graphically impressive, often it's the grime and the dirt and the reality of it all. But with this, it's just almost, not, not eye-hurtingly bright, but it is that white, bright white Stark. light. And, yeah. and it looks just, it really does look incredible. Um, and the scenes you see of the Great Clock from the outside... Uh, it's just magnificent uh, in terms of this aesthetic design they've they've put into it. While you're on that, I I just want to say I basically agree with you. I I actually think this is one of the best looking games on the PS3. I think it's right up there with the likes of Uncharted and uh, other games like that, Killzone, but also benefits from being really bright and colourful. Often we complain about how grey and brown games are this generation but Ratchet and Clank and Kraken Time is so colourful and so beautiful throughout the entire experience they know where the colour palette is yep. not many developers do <laughs> but they do well, that, but that's some of its um, I guess it's more kind of basic Playstation 2 roots I mean it, it's kept its kind of quirky it's not even comic book is it but it, you know it's, it's kind of quirky colorful well, well it looks like side. pixar doesn't it, it yeah, the, the animation yeah. looks like a 3d kids uh, animation yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah so i think we'll, we'll probably come back to um to clank uh, just to kind of sum up how the how the story ends but Ratchet is an entirely different beast. This is exactly what I was expecting from this game. Um, I've always heard about the incredible weapons. Um, the Groovatron being one. I remember a lot of the promotional material for this one, which is a a basically a disco ball that you you throw out and uh, enemy enemies caught within its radius uh, start dancing for you to, to kill them. So that's exactly what I was expecting and exactly what I got. Um it's a bit more formulaic. Um, there's huge worlds which you need to explore, and you know the platform elements are there. Um, it's odd. It's, it's not necessarily where this game breaks down for me because it's exactly what I was expecting. But it, it's also it's not particularly inspiring, shall I say? Um, some of the aspects of it, anyway, for me, which is it's like this is exactly what I expected from a Ratchet and Clank game, and this is something that I wasn't necessarily wanting. Um, when I first played this series and it's not necessarily something I wanted now 10 years down the line I think for me um, because I feel especially with Kraken Time that they've got the controls and the combat down for me personally that that is they got the combat down so well I really enjoy all these uh, combat encounters and uh, experimenting with all the weapons Um and I like how they've added the RP. This what Kraken Time didn't add the RPG mechanic, but they expand on it here by having like a customizable assault rifle and shotgun and uh, bomb thrower, which uh, you can customize uh, with several upgrades and stuff like that. Um, and 
I don't know. I, I I just kind of really like that core experience. I also like the addition of the rocket boots of Ratchet, which kind of serve uh, as a way to replace what Clank used to be, but also uh, gives you a way of just like quickly rushing through levels, which you never got to do in the original games. Yeah. Um, I want to. I want to get back to all the weapons, and I want to get back to all his extra equipment and everything. Okay. But as a as a pure basic game, so platforming and shooting things. Although that makes seems to make up just about every game that we play nowadays. Like, does the kind of the old fashioned way of which we like just this cartoony kind of just destructions of of platforming and and using weapons. Is like, does it still play out today? And have that kind of impact in a kind of more kind of kiddie cartoony way as it did all the way back in 2002. Like, do you think there is room for it now outside of something like um, Uncharted 2, which you could say is, you know, it's older brethren of, you know, how we've kind of progressed and, and changed the elements of that, like add a bit more kind of story, action, all that stuff in together. But then again, stuff like Mario Galaxy exists, which take that formula and then once again kind of throw it on its head. Um, I th- I think the answer is yes when it's done as well as something like Mario Galaxy or when it's done as well as a crack in time because I think Josh is right the balance of combat and and the the variety of combat and the variety in the platforming actually is pretty good you know some of the the side mission moons you get onto especially in is it the Bernilius sector um, mm-hmm. where you're you're platforming you know miles above the 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 surface of the moon that you landed on um it it doesn't always work perfectly but as far as 3d platforming goes it's certainly the best i've played not having played mario galaxy which probably is is the one that people would hold up i guess um there's the odd time when the camera gets in the way uh in, particularly in one of the fights with argos in his ship um, so the camera's a little bit iffy. Um, there's some times where the aiming reticule for combat is a little difficult to get where you need it to be, and there's an occasions where having a shadow beneath you just isn't quite enough to to make a, a jump, and if you miss it, sometimes it's a little too punishing in how far it might drop you back. But generally, I had a lot of fun uh, jumping platform to platform and stopping you know, f- relatively frequently with Ratchet for more combat and working out how I could combine all the different weapons I had to try and get through the combat as as efficiently and effectively as I could. So I think it does. Yeah, and uh, so before we get to those broader aspects, I just, like some of the negativity I still continue to have throughout this game, which is I I felt like these worlds were these huge worlds, but I could only explore a very small part of it. Like there was a lot of stuff going on in the background, a lot of visual uh, treats, um, like once you're in the spaceport, like there's a there's a lot of um, I don't know, you know space stuff happening in the background, and uh, once you're on the you know, the jungle levels, there's waterfalls and stuff. But they always felt so far away, like you couldn't touch them. Like you were stuck with this very narrow platforming area, and you know you weren't allowed to to drift from this. It, it felt really old school in that respect, and also the camera was like really not close, but fixed in a way above Ratchet's head which you couldn't look at that stuff so it was like well you look at this fixed image because you can't quite look all the way up until exactly where you want to be you will just follow this path that we give you now I kind of like so so I didn't 
I felt like that was really old school and other games have done that kind of exploration a, a lot better. At the same time, it kind of took me back to when we were playing you know, games of that similar tone back in 2002. Um, so it, it wasn't something that became distracting. It was just something I really noticed. Like, this is a, a 2009 release, yet they kind of fallen into the same trap of games of old and, and they don't really fix it. Um, but they they do some stuff with RPG elements which really caught me by surprise and it actually took me to to play um, the, the the previous title which was uh, a quest for booty to actually realize how great a crack in time was in the other elements that it did now let's touch on some of those so it's it's got a lot of weapons this game um, I think well, I'll run through them quickly and, and give you a, a flavour of what they do. Um, you have Zircon. Is it Zircon the Destroyer? Uh, yeah, Mr. Zircon, I think it's also called, yeah. Mr. Zircon, who's this wise, quacking, kind of robot-y thing that floats above your head. You can throw him out and he fires and he can just be like your buddy uh, ally that helps you crowd control. You have Doom Blades, which are blades that fire around the room and kind of almost heat-seek onto people, but they, you know, they ricochet off walls. Um, you have the Sonic Eruptor, which is like a fish, <laughs> um, which belches, um, but belches so loudly that the area around that vibrates and kind of, I, I guess, erupts. Um, which, really, if you're playing this in, in its surround sound, it will set your subwoofer off something incredible, and I had to turn the game down a number of times because I thought my house was going to actually fall down around me. Uh, you have a Judicator, which is basically a heat-seeking missile, which is kind of cool. Plasma Striker. Magonet Launcher. Was it Mag- Magnet Launcher? Um, fires out magnets, of course, and fixes things into place, so then you, they're easy to kill. The Dynamo of Doom which I don't think I barely ever used. It's a it's horrible weapon. Yeah. yeah. Well, I did use it occasionally in some of the tournaments because you have so many enemies in front of you that actually anything that does damage, just throw it out. All you do is throw out little black balls that it says you can control with the six-axis controller. Mm. No, because you're moving around the environment <laughs> so Exactly, much yeah, you'll get hit by they, other stuff. They're not going to be on your screen for very long because you've turned around. But what you can do is throw down all nine of them and they will damage the enemies that you can't control yourself at the moment. So, Which is a little bit like the Tesla spikes, which I presume you're coming to shortly, uh, which you can throw down three or four and they create like this sort of uh, fence yes. of electricity that damages enemies uh, nearby. Uh, also, you have the Chimpomatic, which uh, shrinks your enemies down into chimps that are playing cymbals. Uh, you have the Rift Inducer 5000, which causes a well, a, a rift or a black hole above your, these characters, which then an octopus with arms comes out and starts grabbing uh, enemies and takes them back through the rift, so it's in kind of an instant kill and is hilarious. Uh, you have the Groovatron, which I said earlier. Um, then you, you come down to the the, was it the Mega Customer... Cus- the basic customizable pistol, um, bomb, and shotgun weapon. Um, now, all those by themselves are interesting weapons, and I assume all that stuff has been before in all the other Ratchet and Clank games. That's what I've heard, and each one has their own kind of unique set of interesting weapons. This one in particular, and I assume this comes from Tools of Destruction or back from the PlayStation 2, which is all these weapons can be upgraded. 
Um, and they do do this in a really like seamless way. You 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 find yourself using these weapons just to upgrade them, and they upgrade pretty fast, which I think is the key. So, yeah. for instance, you have the whatever say the judicator which is the heat sinking missiles you find yourself like that's a really great weapon and it starts out pretty powerful but time you got it up to level five which is the maximum level you can get that ultimately could only be maybe a hundred maybe or so enemies that you've killed with that weapon so it it powers up for the levels pretty quick but because it powers up so fastly you're always feeling like do you know what i'm just going to use this weapon and get it to level five and once it gets to level five, that weapon in particular, then instead of firing one rocket, it fires three rockets. So you're like, cool. Oh, uh, Tony. Yes. Sorry. It's called the Negotiator. Oh, is it the Negotiator? Yeah. Okay. Dull. Ah, well, the Negotiator. Um, so then you get three rockets. Now, at that point, you'd think, well, now I've got this super duper weapon that fires three rockets. I've been using it to kill the last 100 people. Of course, I'm going to stick this, and you go no, because I now I want to take the next weapon and see what that gets when it gets to its own version of level five. And because it doesn't take that many people to kill, you're constantly actually cycling your way through these weapons, finding out how to use them. Some you do like the Dynamo of Doom. I, I think I used a couple of times. Now, actually, I just I just don't like the way that handles, and I didn't use it at all. But for most of them, I actually got them up to level five because i was interested to see how you could use those weapons in different circumstances and i felt the need to keep coming back now that to me is almost like the diablo effect isn't it where you 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 kind of constantly being fed this extra stuff and you just want to push forward just this little bit more how's this one extra stat help me out here um and that that goes from the weapons and that goes to every single crate that's around the room which you smash and produces cogs all over the place and you you find yourself wanting to smash every single little crate inside this level even if it's going off the beaten path to do so or at least that's what i found yeah 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 i think so um the one thing i would say is that they actually do something clever which i'm not sure if you would have noticed necessarily uh i, th- I did spot it but weapons that you get later in the game because these weapons a lot of them you have to buy from vendors that are around the place and they only unlock when you've got to a certain point in the main story um the ones that you unlock later are upgraded and leveled up much much faster than the original ones um the shotgun for instance is much faster than the pistol uh and some of the the glove weapons like the groovatron and that sort of thing upgrade incredibly quickly because you get them a bit later in the game but I think sometimes that's because there's a bigger area of effect. Like they, they hit two or three enemies at once rather than just doing singular enemy damage. Possibly, but with stuff like the magnet, I noticed I was... Yeah. Uh, uh, now that doesn't actually do any damage, but okay, you're using it. Um, and also the, the cryo glove, I can't remember exactly what it's called, but the glove that you can freeze you. Um, those were upgrading incredibly quickly, and I'm sure yeah. they did it because you get them late in the game, so we'll make them upgrade a bit quicker. Um now, it, it, interestingly, that is all in a quest for booty as well, more or less. Not as many weapons, but the upgrading is there. But it never felt remotely useful because you're only playing the game for three and a half hours. So you didn't get time to see what happened when weapons upgraded because you just used whatever killed everything and moved on. I've, so that's certainly how well, I felt. There's also an- another aspect which, Josh, maybe you can cover, which is you have these um, constructor weapons as well, which... Ultimately, uh, it, there's items around the environment which, if you find, you can change how these weapons run. Yeah. Which is interesting. I, that, 
so once you so it it adds to it the exploration thing so you you're not just following the, the beaten path you're actually going off because you want to find these hidden packs once you found these hidden packs then they also take those constructible weapons and give them a whole different uh, aspects as well so you, you don't even need to get them up to level five so say the pistol fires bullets and then once you find a unupgradable item within that environment it may fire um, bombs instead of bullets so like it, it becomes a lot more useful or proximity mines in particular for the the mine one instead of just being explode on contact you can then put proximity mines all over the place the, the reason why i like it and this particular uh, feature the customizable weapons was introduced in crack in time the leveling up stuff you you guys are talking about actually uh harkens back right back to the ps2 era games um but the um what i liked about the uh, customizable pistol and shotgun and bomb glove was that the upgrades weren't necessarily better the one the ones you get later on they were more about customizing for your playstyle so for ex- for example the pistol had like a single shot really accurate shot or it had a charge shot that did more damage but was less accurate or it had a rapid fire uh a shot that it could do mm-hmm. and it wasn't about these upgrades are more powerful it's more what w- how would you like to play would you like to be more powerful would you like to just spray the enemy or do you want to be more accurate all the time and uh, you know so forth for like you had different kinds of ammo as well i think uh for mm-hmm. the pistols uh, which was really cool because it made, and you could also customize the pistol's look as well. Not like um, what's on it or anything like that, but like the paint scheme and stuff yeah. like that. So it it, it kind of gave you some kind of attachment to your weapons to make them kind of personal to you, which was a really nice touch. Can I come in with a slightly different point of view, which is, I felt like I was getting new weapons often enough. And level and wanting to level them up, like you were saying, Tony, that when I got these uh, constructo mods, I I wasn't sure I had any control over which construct which um, mod it opened up. And when I looked at the list of things that were available, I thought, you know what, I don't even know how this weapon works with another weapon, let alone to start experimenting and changing how it works in itself. I didn't touch them, not at all. Oh. I I got <laughs> I got um hmm. Let me see. More than half of the Constructo mods, certainly, because there's about 40 of them in the game, I think. Uh, And just playing through the game, I found plenty of them. Doing the tournament levels and also exploring the moons, I got plenty of them. I looked at them and thought, okay, so shotgun, do I want pellets or do I want slugs? Fine. Looked at it and thought, you know what? It's not as deep as I would have expected an RPG to be, where you go in and you literally customise your weapon and you know what the upgrade does because you've got stats. And so I felt like it would take far too long of testing out what the different options did to try and work it out. So I thought, you know what, my weapons are levelling up. I want to know how I'm going to use all these... I mean, we're literally talking like 14, 15, maybe even more weapons. Um, That's a lot of weapons to try and work out which ones you want to use routinely. And also, the shotgun is the gun I used almost primarily because... By the end, once that's leveled up, three shots on even one of the tanks that's attacking you. Uh, not the Hydra tank, the um, the sort of dual um, machine gun wielding um, mm-hmm. bipedal Thing. tanks. <laughs> Metal Gears, if you want a better phrase. Um, when those are attacking you, three shots close up and the shotgun takes them down, which 
is exactly the same as the rocket launcher, so I stuck to the shotgun. Yeah, but with that stuff. shotgun, you were probably still using whatever the latest mod you got with it, rather than just the first one that it came packed with. Because I think by default that it it then sets that gun to the the most powerful thing it gives you once you found yeah, it. Yeah, but it just felt strange because I, I never felt like I well I didn't have any control over what mod was opening up, and trying to work out what each one did. So to give context to that, um, say that in that shotgun you have three types of ammo. Um, depending where you find um, the collectible that unlocks that mod um, will be which which way that mod unlocks so you, say you you've failed to find the first two through earlier levels if you find the third one then it just unlocks the third area of that um, that mod rather than the first two before it so you know it, I guess in a greater scheme it's wanting you to go back and replay through the entirety of the game and find all mods for all weapons I, I know there's yeah. a trophy linked to that so what they want you to yeah, do. Yeah, I and mean, that's the that's the good thing I thought about this was the the collectibles. Uh, so there's there's I think I'm right in saying it's just three different types of collectibles. You've got the construction mods. Uh, oh no, big pardon. There's more. The the Rhino Five weapon schematics. Yeah. Um, the gold bolts. So bolts are the currency in the game, and gold bolts give you a lot more, but they're collectible. Um, and then the last one is the Zoni because. Uh, in the very first level in the game, Ratchet um, visits a world where there are still Zoni and they are... Am I right in thinking they are scattered at that point and you have to go and collect them with the yeah. vessel to save them, essentially? Um, yeah. And the only one that I ended up collecting as many as I could of were the Zoni. And, and collecting the Zoni isn't just a case of um, featuring into the story. It also... The zone are technologically advanced, so it upgrades your ship. Mm-hmm. I think they're all your ship um, in terms of what it can do because we haven't mentioned between worlds you are flying uh, your ship around to, to negotiate this sort of hub world. Um, there's an odd thing with that where you're only on a 2D plane, which is a bit weird yeah. when you're in space in a spaceship. <laughs> I think it works, but my first reaction yeah. was, wow, this is kind of half of what it should be you know? yeah so so there's a there's a ship section um well you you're you go to space you're in the ship um and this is basically the interlink between ratchet's levels of how he gets from planet to planet mm. um it gives you context of how you got there rather than just saying well you know now you're on this planet move forward um so they don't necessarily need cutscenes for that they just you know you can you fly to those planets and quite often certain sections of planet planet areas or galaxies are blocked off from you because you don't have enough zoni yet to that and you have failed to upgrade your ship enough to actually progress that area so what that does then that pushes you to there's like these mi- little mini game planets so these little exploratory planets reminded me very much of um Super Mario Galaxy, Mario in, Galaxy. yeah, and it's, yeah I was gonna say. in some respects, which are actually quite. I think they're probably where the most difficult platforming of the yeah. game comes in. Yeah. They're, they're like these almost like little challenge rooms, but on top of planets. No, I I re- I think these were my uh, one of the highlights of the game for me, uh, mainly because they focused on quite challenging platforming, and as you said, they are they're very reminiscent of uh, Super Mario Galaxy in that you have like this entire moon or mini planet, and you can walk around the entire sphere mm-hmm. much like you can in Mario Galaxy and it's really great, uh, there's one where you're literally like climbing up 
like these um, like satellites, not really satellites. They're basically platforms, but they're mm-hmm. orbiting the moon mm-hmm. that you're going around. You and you're going something. higher and higher yeah. up, and you can see the moon below you, and you can fall all the way down as well. And that was just really impressive to me. I know it's kind of copying another platforming game, <laughs> but it, it was just nice to have that in there as well because no other, apart from Mario Galaxy and this game, no other game does it. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I I really like those moons, and that's what I was talking about in the Bernoulius sector with those moons where you're climbing up the platforms, and it it did frustrate me a couple of times falling back down, um, but they varied them so much. Uh, first time when you went there, it was just a case of right, you've got to kill twenty enemies, and we'll give you the zoni. But before long, you'd started unlocking the hover boots, and so you might need the hover boots to get around, um, or you'd unlocked the is it a hydro pistol it's called the the gun that you can hold liquid Omni Soaker Omni Soaker sorry yeah. um and uh so you can you can either pick up water or oil or um what's the last one the sort of nectar to attract the yeah, nectar, termites pretty much or, or the, yeah um and so you might need to collect some water to then uh soak some uh, heated platforms to cool them down so you can jump on them and then go to somewhere where you can collect some oil and then come back to a, a rusted um, crankshaft that you can turn to raise a platform to get higher up in the level and it becomes again sort of layer on layer it gets to the point where you get to this stage where you're massively high up above the the moon you're on sort of hopping platform to platform using your hover boots to traverse a little bit and then using your wrench to bring a platform down and jump up to the next level um in order to get to this collectible zone that's that's trapped on this moon um and in some cases it actually minimizes the amount of combat you have to do in favor of the platforming and it really shows that when it relies on combat the game can be successful but also when it relies on platforming it does a good job of being successful as well i, I must admit that there, there wasn't enough platforming in this game for me I, I was really expecting you know a platforming shooter and i obviously it got the shooting part i think pretty pretty yeah. spot on but the platforming part like i said i felt like the camera is pretty close it like i i'd imagine this series has probably evolved away from platforming a little bit because the weapons have taken front of stage it's not saying that 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 stuff isn't there in fact it does a good job of putting you on launch pads and, and firing you across the entirety of the environment to show that the, as it is actually an environment that is rendered as a whole rather than just back backdrops and it will take you from a to b um, and that always is, is fun hitting a catapult or flying up into the air but another just a platforming section like it, it's not gonna apart from maybe some of those moons like i think the the general platforming sections for the storyline stuff is I don't really think it's going to challenge anyone. Um, well, that's at least uh, compared to something like Super Mario Galaxy or like a Rayman Origins, you know, different platform I know, but, you know, just something like that, which is more of a, a platforming game rather than a shooter. Well, I don't really class Ratchet... I don't put Ratchet and Clank in the same category as something like Mario Galaxy or even the first Jack and Daxter, for instance, because mm. it is much more like an... Un- I know it sounds like a weird comparison, but this game actually has more in common with Uncharted than anything else, in that there is platforming in Uncharted, but the combat is kind of the focus of the experience, Mm -hmm. and the platforming is more there to mix it up a bit. It's not the focus, but it's there to, you know, add some more layers to the experience. 
so uh, we basically covered what you do with Ratchet in this. There's a, there's a lot of combat, which I, I think is is quite satisfying. Um, and the, you know we've discussed the platforming, but what's his story arc? It's it's not quite as as interesting as Clank's, but but it is there. Uh, should I just kind of just briefly go over kind of what he's doing? Sure, absolutely, yeah. Well, basically, he um, he at the beginning of the game, he's searching for his friend Clank, and that's his main drive. But then he runs into a another Lombax called Alistair Azimuth, and uh, they're kind of looking for Clank and the Great Clock together. Azimuth wants to do that because uh, he feels responsible for the destruction of the Lombax civilization because he gave plans to an enemy in the previous game. I've forgotten his name. Tachyon. Tachyon, that's yeah. it. Um, and so he's trying to search for the Great Clock because he wants to, you know, fast uh, fast forward. That's the opposite <laughs> of what he wants to do. He wants to rewind time so he can change history. Uh, and Ratchet's kind of wants that to happen as well because his parents died. But he's also, it happens that Clank's there. So that's kind of their journey. Um, and there's not much more to it, really. I, I didn't find it as interesting as Clank's, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, it sort of mixes it up because you've got several different enemy factions. You've got Dr. Nefarious, who obviously wants... Well, he, he wants multiple things. He wants to take down Ratchet and Clank for their past run-ins, uh, but he also wants to get control of the Great Clock for himself so that he can sort of, well, control time, he believes, at that point. Um, you, you've also got Vorsalon, who may or may not, I'm not sure if you'll ever really cleared up, actually be working with Nefarious or just want to take you down separately. Um, and then you come into contact with several different races of, of creatures on other planets who are also stuck in battle with Dr. Nefarious's troops. And so you help them along the way in order to get something that you need uh, as Ratchet trying to, to get closer and closer to Clank. Um, I I got I've got to say as well that you know having never seen Doctor Nevarius before, um, he's actually a really funny villain. Um, yeah. I mean I I just love his character as a design, his ridiculously over the top head, um, and he's like hugely animated. There's a lot of arm movements and shouting and um, people around him being afraid of that kind of. It's almost like the Spaceballs Emperor kind <laughs> of like yes sir, like, and it there's there's a number of humorous um jokes that have been told within that and and quark is it quark as well yeah which is the well it's a bit like um he's basically zap brannigan from yeah. uh, futurama yeah let's be honest who takes all the limelight uh because he he believes he's the one you know solving all these puzzles and saving the universe when in fact it is ratchet and clank um but yeah they're, they're quite well-rounded characters i i really liked them like in particular like you know because of the the way the cutscenes are so highly produced, um, you know, I, I really got a kick out of Doctor Nefarious himself. And, you know. There were a couple of moments of Doctor Nefarious where I was literally laughing out loud. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the stuff that really stands out for me is when he gets so angry, mm-hmm. he just kind of locks up, and then for some reason his brain is picking up the signal of this romantic soap opera like radio play that's going on and the ridiculous things this couple are going going up to it was just it was just completely bonkers he's almost a pantomime villain in that he's mm-hmm. so over the top in his how evil he has to be 
um, but also at the same time just really sort of ridiculous in everything that he is. And he's got this vendetta against um, any, I guess, organic being. Yeah. He refers to them as squishies. Yeah, the old cartoons, isn't it? You always have that ridiculously over-the-top villain, which ultimately is never going to win the day, but will continue to try and try and try. It's like the wildly coyote. Um, And he also employs partway through the game uh, Valkyries to come after you. So these Valkyries are led by three women, although one of them's got a very deep voice. Um, and I really like the fact that those are sort of mini-bosses, but the battles with each of them are entirely different. Even though two of them take place in ships, The what's going on around you and how you need to beat them are entirely different. Again, there's the variety in the game in terms of the characters and then what they have you doing in order to engage with those characters is, is really impressive, I think. Right, let's try to wrap up this game then. Um, let's tackle the the end of the story segment so how do ratchet and clank themselves kind of combine towards the end josh um so they kind of meet up um towards the end because nefarious's plan is kind of coming together and he's gonna take over the great clock and then you have this uh, boss battle with nefarious and he's defeated and you're kind of led to believe that that's kind of going to be the final boss uh but it turns out that it's not um, you get to the great clock and uh, Azimuth betrays you, uh, tries to, in fact it succeeds in killing Ratchet um, then Clank activates the great clock rewinds it six minutes into the past uh, to try and save Ratchet he succeeds and then there's this uh, boss battle with Azimuth as he's trying to uh, rewind time but as it's been established throughout the game uh, the clock shouldn't be used as a time machine. Uh, if you do that, then the whole universe kind of just destroys itself. So you're basically trying to stop that from happening. But Azimuth, after the boss uh, fight, uh, kind of realizes what he's doing and what he's doing wrong. And so he sacrifices himself to try and correct the mistake he's made. Um, and apart from like there's the little bit of drama where you're wondering whether clank is going to stay at the clock or whether he's going to go off with ratchet he ends up going off with ratchet and making sigmund who had, was helping clank all the way through it uh, in, he gives him like the power uh, of being in charge of the clock and it kind of just ends there so i kind of like that though cuz clank's you know, ultimately he's found where where he was made you know who his maker was um, and he's found his job in life. Like ultimately, this was his his end path. Like he was to look after time itself. You know, this is why he was created. And to see him kind of turn his back on that and say, you know what, there's someone else that can can deal with this. Yeah, you know, I kind of want to just live my life uh, and not be told what to do or guided what to do. Like my destiny is going to take me somewhere else. Although I've never played any of the other Ratchet and Clank games, I kind of got this sense of wow, there really are buddy buddies here. Like you know. He's going to give up on everything that maybe he's been chasing the entirety of his life and just to continue on kind of exploring something new. Yeah, yeah. I think um, the the interesting thing I thought in that case was that I, I didn't get the sense he was turning his back on it so much as he was delaying that that side of what he had to do because I, I got the feeling that when he left, he knew that it would all... The clock and the memory of his father, which is actually inside himself, uh, programmed into him, uh, and Sigmund would be there when he came back. 
Um, but for now, the more important thing was to help Ratchet find his family, mm. and and knowing what knowing the satisfaction and the closure that that Clank had felt at, at finally un- unlocking this side of himself that he didn't know about. Uh, I think he he wants to find that for Ratchet, knowing that once all that's done, the the clock will be there for him to come back to. You know, he can always come home. So, yeah, yeah, nice ending, I thought. So uh, let's get some wrap ups from just you two. And, and <laughs> <laughs> I was suspect free. It's strange. Yeah, let's get some uh, wrap ups from Josh. Yeah, would you recommend this game? Uh, yeah, I would. Um, I have liked the series in the past. Um, I like the PS2 games, but uh, Kraken Time really caught me by surprise. Um, it's the first one where I'd consider it to be, you know, up there with like the best um, that the PS3 has to offer, uh, the best that Sony has to offer. Um, it looks great. It's one of the best looking games this generation. I think the stuff with Clank, the time puzzles, are genuinely very different and interesting. Um, the Ratchet stuff might disappoint you if you're expecting uh, something that is much more modern, but I think for what it's aiming to be, it's really good. Um, and I was surprised how much I really liked the story and the characters. Even though it's ridiculous, even though it can be hilarious, I, I got really engaged and I like the characters so I highly recommend it James um, yeah I've, I'll try and get through all this as quickly as I can but I started playing Quest for Booty because I got it as part of the uh, PSN Welcome Back pack when they gave away the, the free games so I started there knowing it was only three hours long and I was really really worried about then going on to play A Crack in Time because Quest for Booty is badly paced I think it gives you all the weapons and strips them away and then just dumps several back on you at points through the game. Which, when I consider something like Minerva's Den, the way it condensed the pacing of Bioshock 2 but kept it really, really well paced, Mm -hmm. to just throw weapons at you and say, here, have some more weapons, here, have some more weapons. The economy's broken, you get loads of bolts, but there's nothing to spend them on aside from three specific points where you have to spend them with a smuggler. Well, there's no point collecting bolts then as far as I'm concerned because you don't have a choice in how you use them Um, and the levelling up of the weapons because the game is short doesn't really work it felt quite oddly balanced to me at the start of the game I felt like Ratchet was way too vulnerable so I actually kicked it down from normal and put it onto easy because I was dying too often and yet then when I got into Kraken Time it all made sense the pacing of how often you got weapons was good and it was kind of up to you because you were collecting a lot of bolts and you then got to decide what you spent them on so the economy made sense the you know the platforming felt better it felt like they really put a lot of thought into how they wanted this game to to be and how they wanted it to play and how the weapons were going to work together and that was really missing from a quest for booty i thought I also really liked the story. I was surprised how good the game was in all the areas we've talked about. And I also loved the attention to detail. I don't know if you noticed, but on the radio, the News at 10 sound chimed when they had a news bulletin. Exactly. And that was just... It was instantly recognisable, presumably to people in all sorts of countries where they use that to announce the news. 
at the uh, there's a lot of different areas of humor after the credits you see quark trapped on a um a, a sort of floating rock in space with snowball who is this um giant hulking beast that you've had to you've had to battle several of them throughout the game um and he's tamed one apparently uh right up until the point at which he says snowball's talking to him and he says to him what's that snowball there's a boy trapped down the well which i just thought was just this really silly line but it just showed that they knew what the humor in the game was to be you know um and also i don't know if josh you may be able to shed a light on this clank's footsteps it's TikTok, which just is so perfect because most of the game you're playing yeah. with him, you're in the great clock. I don't know if that's throughout the whole series or whether it's just for this now that time's become a much bigger aspect. But just listening to him running around and hearing that TikTok and it just it fits really well. I, what what I would say is that when I think about this game as a 3D platform with a lot of combat, I think about Beyond Good and Evil and I think about Psychonauts. And those are two incredible games. I would say that A Crack in Time maybe doesn't quite have the charm of Psychonauts, um, and it maybe doesn't quite have the pathos of, of Beyond Good and Evil with the, the story there, but it does so much so well that I was really pleasantly surprised and really glad to play the game. It's about, a, a, my completion was about 10 and a half hours, 11 hours. Uh, I was a bit longer, yeah, but yeah, something like that. You can, after the credits, there's this neat trick where you can you can use a time portal to go back to before the battle with Dr. Nefarious and re-explore the galaxy. And you've been fighting uh, this guy called Vorsalon on a ship every so often. And once you collect all the Zoni, you can go and fight him again. Uh, and also there's tournaments you can enter, fighting tournaments. Um, and there's another tier of that opened up, which you could go and do. And I got sort of most of the way to doing both of those things. I collected all the Zoni and went to fight Vorsalon, and I also went to do the last round of the cup. And I got to the last round of the cup and died and thought, you know what? I have to fight 20 waves of enemies again. I know I could probably do it. I'm not going to. So I went and found all the Zoni and then went to fight Vorsalon and got to him. And that battle was really tough. And I got most of the way towards killing him and died and thought, you know what, I kind of don't need to do this anymore. So it, I think it's great they allowed you to extend the game, but I'm not sure it was necessary. Yeah, I did the 20 rounds of the tournament, Yeah, which is yeah. a lot. Of, a, a quick mention of the tournaments, I found them really a, a lot of fun because they just strip yeah. everything away and just say, well, you know, here's, here's, for instance, you only can use this weapon. You're going to use your wrench or you can only, you know, yeah. whatever, use mines. Or, so that was good or, or there was... Um, like that 20 rounds one where they just keep on throwing enemies as yeah. wave after wave and they get progressively bigger and yeah. you know your ammo's becoming progressively less and stuff like that some really good um and there was, there was other rounds where you had to avoid being hit for the round or yeah. there were enemies on platforms far away and you had to work out how you could destroy them so you had to pick up their mines and throw them back or there was one where you had to stop little sort of flame wielding robots uh, get to an end point and and so you had to try and work out almost I don't know what Bastion like maybe you had to work out how you yeah, could use the weapons at your disposal to to complete the challenge whether it be time based or or number of kills based and just like the moons they just kept mixing up and showing you what the combat was capable of 
which was yeah really good. I thought and the plenty tournaments. plenty of cogs and and like Josh Josh actually told me from the very start like spend spend cogs on armor. Don't forget the armor, yeah. and he was correct because you will die in this game if you if you're not paying attention because uh, there's a lot of enemies. Yeah yeah you could lose health quite quickly and it wasn't always easy to get hold of health but there were plenty of of uh, bolts the currency. Oh yeah you're picking up all the time and so I never ever had the option to buy something that i couldn't afford to buy i don't think so that's good though yes yeah absolutely it felt like you had to collect them and even once i'd collected all the armor and weapons i still habitually was was cracking open all the boxes around (laughs) to let bolts and and i'm sitting here with two hundred thousand bolts and nothing to spend them on thinking this is it's like candy though isn't it stop it yeah i can't stop doing because because later on in the game as well you unlock the ability or maybe it's one of the, the things you get for finding one of the packages which is basically you become a magnet so all those things just once you've hit the thing, they just all swarm towards you. Swarm at least towards you, yeah. I had that. Um, yeah, kind of to echo your thoughts, James. Honestly, um, I I had a little rough time starting this game. I was mm. a bit negative on it. Um, it's it's kind of exactly what I expected it to be as a Ratchet and Clank game first coming in. Um, but as as I progressed through the story, I understood how the weapons were starting to, you know, be dished out and how you could upgrade them and. Uh, let's see, the story started to get you know, under my skin a little bit and I started to actually like the characters and characters that I had never really met before other than you know, quick goes on back on the PlayStation 2 so like they've, they all started to have their own influences on me and I was like, you know, I, I can dig into this so I finished up the game and just was like, that's, that's actually a lot better than I was expecting it to be. But it took me playing um, Quest for Booty for me to actually go, actually, no, that was a really, really solid game. Because <laughs> yeah. one of my aspects I had with um, you know playing through a, a crack in time as well, I was like, well, what if you took all the, that weapon customization out? And, and what yeah. if you took out like maybe the arm of aggression and... And that stuff, and that was de- delivered to me in in Quest for Booty. They, because of it, it was only a three hour experience. They took all those elements out and basically just gave you raw Ratchet and Clank. And I really didn't like that. I just it, it felt like I was missing aspects because I played it the other way around. So I I really felt like you know why can't I upgrade these weapons the the way I want to? And you know like you said, there's like this broken economy that made no sense. Uh, yeah. The story was done in in like storybook form um so like little animated bits and it was badly voice acted um like the character didn't care about any of the characters towards the end and a shame i played that because half of that stuff's kind of fresh in my mind where kraken time has been pushed to one side because that was the latest one i played but yeah quest for booty really kind of highlighted exactly what i liked about a kraken time so yeah it's weird because the nuts and bolts of it are there you you can see that all all the stuff that for the most part, makes the sort of the, the core, the, the structure, yeah. the core. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Of, of a cracking time is there, but it's handled very, very oddly. I'm really not sure why Quest for Booty exists. The one thing I will say is, the the big highlight for me from Quest for Booty was a character called Rusty Pete. The whole thing's pirate based, and there's this one sort of shipmate, if you like, called Rusty Pete, who ostensibly tries to help you, but then turns on you. Uh, and it turns out he was just using you to try and bring his captain back to to life. The story, for the most part, is by the by. It's literally Ratchet just trying to find Clank, and in that game he finds out where Clank is, but doesn't know how to get to him. Mm-hmm. 
But the character of Rusty Pete, when I started playing a crack in time, I was like, oh, no, Rusty Pete, that's a shame. And then you hear him on the radio when you're flying your ship and he's got a pirate radio station. And it's just, it's brilliant. The The voice actor, I, I looked him up because uh, I spotted his name in the credits, but uh, he's a guy called Wally Wingert and alongside Nolan North Sigmund. It's just, it really is a demonstration of the attention to detail of creating these characters and making sure that they sound like they should and it's just it's funny it's it's got charm and it's it's just really well done i think yeah I, my, my fun of sum up really would be is that the game won me over like for whatever reason i still had these preconceived notions of what it was even you know from 10 years ago um and it slowly won me over um i don't Still, don't think it's it's quite up there with you know my memories of Jack and Daxter or Banjo Kazooie or pick other duos, um, but it has elements certainly the the Clank time elements which were really really interesting, and it's a game ultimately that I, I came away going I'm really glad I played that and it's one I will pick up on the cheap somewhere and put it in my collection because you know it's it's a, a decent game to say well you know have you played this before. No, well, you should try it because it's yeah, it's yeah. a it's a good one. If you've never played Ratchet and Clank before, you know, having not played any others, I couldn't tell you whether this is the one to come in the series. But if you know, as someone new to the series, ten years down the line, it it kind of won me over. So uh, generally, I think a thumbs up from all of us. Yeah, and and that's the thing is that you can go back obviously and play all the previous games, but it's not absolutely necessary. I think both of us, Tony, have found that this is a perfectly reasonable place to start playing Ratchet and Clank, and it's a really well-rounded game. You're going to get a lot from it, and it gives you as much backstory as you probably need, so I'd happily recommend that this is where you jump into it. It's made me want to explore further back down the catalogue now. I know Josh yeah. said like with some trepidation, like, <laughs> I don't know if you, you should because maybe this is the peak, um, but... You know, I'm interested in picking up the HD collection and just yeah, whether I play through all of them mm. uh, rather than just maybe mess around with the first couple of hours of each to kind of give me a, a feeling of how the series progressed up until a crack in time would probably be more like it but it will be something I want to pick up at some point to have that kind of base of, of where they came from Yeah. Um, I put the word out for free word reviews and like I say strangely for a, a series which has you know, been going for so long um, there wasn't many people that wanted to jump up to that gun there were there was two so flying muttley said saturday morning cartoon and said ed spectrum 16k said groovatron zircon and transmorpher yes <laughs> <laughs> now the other thing we were talking about this is a weird offshoot from this so i was asking for that and there was little to come from but it Something that clicked in my mind was like, what what are the other buddy buddy games? So like I've mentioned a few, you got like Banji Kazooie, Jack and Daxter. So like they're the, the obvious ones, and like ToeJam, ToeJam and Earl, like from a, a little bit further on back in time. And that started a whole Twitter conversation of people bringing up other games which had buddy buddy or double acts in within their titles. Um, so there's a bunch of those on there, and I think we should read them out because there's a a number of games in there that I've never heard of. <laughs> Uh, and they they could either be taking the Mickey, um, or there's going to be some classics in here that we need to go back and play one day. Strident says Wiz- Wizard and Catalyte, Head and Heels, um, Chikon Lu says Pocky and Rocky, uh, Mealtime Strategy says Wiz and Liz, Campfire Burning says uh, Ollie and Lissa, Jay McNeil, uh, Banjo and Kazooie. 
Donkey and Diddy Kong and Sonic and Tails. Uh, Frozen Treasure says Gabe and Tycho. Uh, the the caveat being that they've got two soon to be three penny arcade video games. That's true. Dit says Sam and Max, Mario and Luigi, Banjo Kazooie again, and Donkey and Diddy. <laughs> Uh, Chris O'Regan, he took it to another extreme, typical Chris O'Regan. <laughs> he kind of took characters that have appeared in games and would be buddy-buddy characters, but ultimately uh, don't necessarily have games named after them. So we have Bubba and Strix, Head and Hills, Sonic and Tails, Mario and Luigi, Ico and Yorda. Oh, how do you say that? Amaterasu and Isun from Akami. Aha. Uh-huh. And Wanda and Argo. Jay Stokes says Bub and Bob from Rainbow Island and Abe and Munch and ZX Spectrum says Boy and his Blob <laughs> Jonas Maximus says Mick and Mac A Foolish UK says Mario and Luigi, Samuel and Max and Kane and Lynch so there's some pretty obscure <laughs> games in there um, actually there's one or two on that list that we are going to cover in future episodes so. but uh, yeah I thought that was funny that you know the buddy buddy game has been going for a p- pretty long time outside of uh, Ratchet and Clank so that wraps up tonight's show um, remember you can play along with Kane and Rince future feature games will include Metal Gear Solid 3 Snake Eater next week Lost Winds 1 and 2 The Winter of the Maladias No More Heroes Ghost Trick, Phantom Detective, Kirby's Epic Yarn, Metal Gear Solid 4, Guns of the Patriots, Rhythm Heaven, Max Payne, and Max Payne 2, The Fall of Max Payne. Uh, Your support for the show via iTunes subscriptions, ratings, and reviews is greatly appreciated. The blog is at caneandrince.com. Kane and Rince is part of the Character Select Network. Come and join the discussion at characterselect.net forward slash forum. Follow us at Twitter at Kane and Rince. Like us at www.facebook.com slash Kane and Rince. And of course, you can send us snail mail, which it feels like nowadays, which is email at Kane and Rince at gmail.com. That just leaves me to thank James Carter and Joshua Garrity. You have been listening to Kane and Rince, and we shall leave you with a piece of interesting music. We are back, broadcasting the galaxy's funkiest beats in three, two, one. <laughs>